Amen. Praise God. There is nothing that we desire that compares with, with him. He's just so good. He's been so faithful. He's been so trustworthy. So loving. So gracious. There's a lot of cool stuff in this world. The commercials would have you believe if you just have this new thing, your life would be totally changed. But that's not true. It pales in comparison to who our God is. There's nothing that we can desire that compares with him. He is more costly than gold. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account. It's nothing in comparison to our Heavenly Father. It's nothing compared to the worth that he has of who he is and what he's done. It means nothing. And you don't take any of that stuff with you. When this life, when you breathe your last breath, that's all. That's it. You leave your house. You leave your bank account. You leave your cars. You leave your family. And if you know him, all you have is Jesus. And let me tell you, that's enough. That's more than enough. Jesus is so good. Turn with me in your copy of God's word to Nehemiah. We're in chapter 13 here today. We'll close out our series here this morning. Uh, and as we're looking at chapter 13, what I want to challenge you with today is your commitment to him. So we just talked about how, how good God is and what he's done for us in our lives. And if you don't yet know him, let's have that conversation because we're, we have a room full of people uh, we've got people online to help you understand what that looks like for you and your life. But man, once you meet God and start walking with him, again, your life is changed. That's what's truly transforming. But we ought to remember as we are following Christ, some of us, we, we, we get saved and we're on fire and excited about who God is and what he's done, that he's taken us from our wretched life and he's put us back on the right path. We've been saved and sanctified so long that we forget where we came from. And, and then we, 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 if we're not steeped in God's word, we tend to compromise. I'm telling you today, don't compromise. When it comes to God and his word, do not compromise. Growing up, we think, uh, you know, we, we teach about compromising, right? With, with kids, like, hey, let little Johnny play with that too. You had your turn. Let's compromise. You play with it for a little bit, and then, then they get to play with it for a little bit, right? That's good. 
or, you know, as we grow into being adults and, and you know, especially as we're newlyweds here, right? We, we learn to compromise. We're, we're used to living separately and doing our own thing separately. And then we come together in, in marriage and like, well, I, I, I don't like the way you make the bed. When I make the bed, I do it this way. You know, that's not a hill to die on, so let's compromise. Teach me how you like your bed, like the bed maiden. We'll figure it out. That's good, right? When we're living with one another, you know, we we want to do that. We can't, we don't need to have it our way all the time. And so compromise comes, but there's one area where there cannot unequivocally be compromise, and that's where it comes to God's word. I'm afraid as we look at the world today, and people who claim to be Christians are compromising at every turn. They take what God has said in his word and what we see revealed to us in scripture, and they've taken it, and they've changed it. Well, you know, that was written then. It doesn't apply to us now. When in actuality, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything that he says in his word is, can be applied to us today. Not everything is, is applicable for us, but at least we can get an example for how God's people uh, operated and what he told them and use that to look at our own lives and say, well, well how, do, how does this apply to me today? And how can I take this as an example? But today, we have the world telling us, oh, it's okay if you do these things, if you think this way and support these areas. And people are compromising. Well, what could it hurt? What difference does it make? Oh, it it would be more loving if I accept all these things that the world is telling me as opposed to doing and believing what God has told me. But in fact, fact, it's it's not love that you're exemplifying. It's the lack of love, or dare I say hate, when we're not willing to stand on God's word and and, and talk to people about what what God says for us. Do not compromise. Because what we have in this life, like we just talked about, is just a blip on the screen. It's nice to have for momentary pleasure, but it's just that, it's momentary. We have eternity to look forward to, and that matters. We cannot compromise. Look with me in Nehemiah 13. We'll start in verse 1. Here God's word reads, on that day they read from the book of Moses and hearing of the people, and it was written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those who of foreign descent. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chamber of the house of our God and who was related to Tobiah, 
prepare for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering and the frankincense and vessels and the tithes, the grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. This is Nehemiah speaking. I uh, was not in Jerusalem for in the, the 32nd year, Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked uh, leave of the king. He came to Jerusalem, and I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah and preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house. Let me explain what's happening here. Here, um, as we pick up, um, you know, Eliashib, he was appointed to be priest, and he was a relative of Tobiah. And if you've been with us through the series, you remember Tobiah, who uh, uh, was, was throughout an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. Tobiah not only threatened to stop the construction of the wall, but he also t- attempted to assassinate Nehemiah on several occasions. So there was no love lost there. And as soon as Nehemiah goes away, what happens? Elishab sneaks his, his family member, his boy, sneaks him in and sets him up a, in a little, a little apartment. You know, hey, we, we have this room that is set aside to collect the things for God. But you know what? Hey, you're my boy and everything. I'm just going to bring you in. We'll just put that stuff to the side. No big deal. Bring you in, you'll have a place to stay. What happened was Tobiah was slick, and Israel uh, refused to be ruled by God, and they let Tobiah come in and instead have him rule over them. Since they, uh, they refused to separate themselves from idolaters and directly commit themselves to worship, what happens is the enemy of God comes in and, and actually takes up residence The enemy of God comes in and takes up residence so he can continue to influence from the inside. And he's been trying to do this the whole time. If you remember back when he's talking to Nehemiah, like, hey, let's let's come together. Let's work together. And and, hey, let me post up here and I, I can help out in various ways. But Nehemiah saw through all of it. He says, nah, that's not happening on my watch. I know what you're about. I know what you're trying to do. And this is not going to take place. He just wasn't having it. He, he knew about Tobiah and his tricks. So Nehemiah goes back to the king. He had to go back and you know, pay respects and continue to do some of his work. And Tobiah saw an, he saw an opening. He's like, okay, the, the, Nehemiah's gone. It's my chance. This is my opportunity to come in. And he used his influence to manipulate the people and to get into the temple. Isn't that something? As we read through this, you know, when people say, man, the, the Bible is boring. I mean, when you, when you look at stories like this, I can see it play out in my mind. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's like, like watching a TV show. Or like my grandmother used to get up and watch the stories, you know. This is one of those things that are playing out right before your eyes. And you're like, I can't believe this is happening. This is going on. So as a priest, Eliashib, he should have been setting the spiritual direction for the rest of the people. He, he, should, have, 
He should have said like, hey, you know, Nehemiah is not here and this is what he instructed before. And in fact, this is what God has said for us to do that, that we shouldn't have uh, people coming in that are against God. And, and I'm sorry to buy. I love you. You know, we, I know we family and everything, but not, not this time. That's what he should have said. But instead, the priest decided that he'd rather make his family happy than follow the commands of God. He compromised. He compromised what God had told them to do versus what's happening here with his family. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when you take your eyes off God. This is what happens when we don't spend time with God in his scripture, in prayer. We don't spend time uh, 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 surrounded by God's people. Because as a body of believers, we're here so that we can encourage and strengthen one another, right? Another way that looks is when we start to compromise, when we start to go in a direction or start to question things that God has said, we got brothers and sisters like, hey, brother, let's, let's look at this in the scripture and let's walk through this together, right? So that, that you can understand what God says and then I can help you, you can help me be able to live up to our commitment to him. But that's not, what, that's not what's happening. That's not what we're doing. I often say that coming to church doesn't get you brownie points for heaven. This, you know, this is, the, this is the huddle where we get together and, and talk about the game plan that we're going to run the other 167 hours of the week when we leave here. This is so that we can get prepared. We can, we can worship our God and thank him for what he's done and also be equipped to take that message and as an army go out to the world so they might know him as well. But when you let your guard down, the enemy sneaks in. When you start to compromise, the enemy says, this is my opportunity, this is my time to come in and influence, to misdirect, to lead you astray. Your coworkers might get you to start to do some things that are dishonest when you compromise, when you let your guard down. Like, oh, it's, it's okay. I mean, just clock out early. Nobody will notice. Oh, go ahead. Take some extra pens and pencils. It's no big deal. I mean, they, they, so they write it off. They'll get some more. Oh, you don't have to report that sale. Just, you know, you can pocket that. I mean, you deserve it. You work so hard. You don't have to report that. Just, just take the cash and put it in. You'll be okay. This is what happens when we let our guard down, when we let others start to influence us. You know, family will have us doing some crazy stuff if we're not careful. We love them so much. We want to be there and, and help them out, but when it goes against the word of God, you got to make a choice. Don't be like Eliashib. They say blood is thicker than water, but family should never get in the way of uh, and, and influence us in a way that will take us into spiritual foolishness. That shouldn't happen. Luke uh, 14 and 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate 
his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you got to hate your family. But I thought Jesus was about love. I thought Jesus was about welcoming and everybody in. Why do I have to hate my family? This hatred is more like a lesser love. He's not telling you to cut off your family and and the, the hate that we think of, the, the physical anger or, or hatred, he's like, when it comes to God and your family, you have so much lesser love that you love Christ so much that your love for your family looks like hate. They come in a far distant second to Christ. Libby, I love you. I love you so much with all of my being. But if it becomes to you in Christ, I mean, you know this. I love you, though. But I'm going to choose Christ every time. You know, if she came in and it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's start, let's sit down and let's start, let's start meditating and get the little bowl out and all this stuff and put a, a picture of Buddha on the wall. I'm like, nah, nah. We don't do that here. As for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. When it comes to Jesus and your walk with him, everything and everybody comes in at a distant second. We ought to be so devoted to Christ that our attachments to everything else, including our own lives, would seem like hatred in comparison. That's what Jesus is trying to get to us. He is explaining and describing a total commitment to him. Total. Don't compromise. So if family members want you to disobey God, then you've got a choice to make. Do you follow them? Or do you follow Christ? Check, check this out. In Matthew 10 and 34, <laughs> Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Who are you going to choose? Jesus is coming and he's making it very clear why and how he is coming. He is here. He is, he's done so much for us already. And so it's understandable. Nehemiah has been uh, with this crew for a long time, and he's, he's been on the forefront, and he's kind of been the barometer for how uh, we should think and act spiritually, especially for those folks that was working with him. And he goes away. I don't know how long he was gone, for a few months or whatever it was, but he comes back, and he, he what, what have you people done? What is what's happening here? Nehemiah gets back and to town and he throws Tobiah and his stuff out. And even though Elisha and Tobiah were family, Nehemiah had to cut off Tobiah because he went against God and violated the premises. He violated everything that he touched. You see, this room that he was staying with was specifically designated for storing the grain and oil and the temple vessels, and it was used for the day-to-day -day administration of the temple. This was important. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was an extra room. 
you know, this is something that has been ordained. This is where we're supposed to keep these things and what we're supposed to do with it. And so it, it also doesn't sound like they just simply moved, you know, something to another room. Like this, this was totally moved out and probably stuff was everywhere, unorganized, unkept, unaccounted for. This was a violation of the holiness code for the temple, and it was a flagrant abuse of personal privilege and an offense to God. This was serious business. It wasn't just a little thing that they were doing. He compromised. Even though this is ordained for this, this area to, to do, for us to do these things so we can be right and orderly for God, you know, no, no big deal. We just move, we'll move you in. Put your stuff in here. Get you a nice little bed and stereo and You'll be fine. No, it's not fine. No, it's not okay. This is the area where there ought not be any compromise. You know, Nehemiah is nothing like us today. Those of us who are full of compromise, we see our friends and family uh, who call themselves Christians but blatantly go against God and what he says in Scripture. We're totally okay we're seeing our, our family and friends do things that are offensive to God. And some of us are in that camp, if I'm honest, of doing and believing things that are offense to God. You know, it reminds me of the meme, uh, uh, you know, Kermit the Frog, he's sipping tea, and it's like, none of my business. That's how we act. Even the people that claim to follow God, if People are rebelling against God's principles. It is your business. It is your business to love them in such a way that you would tell them the truth. It is your business to tell them the truth, to be honest. If we saw a person blindly walking out into the middle of ongoing traffic, they're on their iPhone and just walking blindly, what would you do? Would you let them blindly walk into ongoing traffic? If you love them, I hope you wouldn't. I, I hope that you would see it happening. Like, I can't believe they got their face in their, their, their phone so bad that they don't even see what they're doing. I, I, what's happening? Stop. Stop what you're, get out and go and tackle them if you have to. Why? Because you love them so much that you don't want to see them harmed. You don't want to see them go out into ongoing traffic and, and get hurt or maimed or even killed, right? Why is it different when it comes to obeying God and his word that all of a sudden it's not our business? When we see people headed to hell and damnation, all of a sudden you want to be quiet. You want to mind your business while they walk directly into damnation. Make that make sense for me. How do we do that? Part of the problem I, I think is, is we don't know God's word well enough to know when we ought to be speaking up. That we've let the, the world seep in and we haven't been discipled and so we don't really know what to say and do ourselves.
I hope that we can change this. I hope that we can spend time getting to know God and his word so that one, we can know how we, we can live and then we can be that lifeline for others as they're walking in the wrong direction. Let's pick up in verse 10. Verse 10 of, of chapter 13. It says, I also found that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers who did the work had uh, fled to his field, each to his, his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe and grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. If this wasn't enough, they, they let Tobiah come in and post up in the temple do whatever he, what is, he was doing, and now they're sacrificing ministry. Now, all of a sudden, uh, the things that matter to the people were put in front of the things of God. The things of God were put last, and they decided to compromise. The Levites, who were the ministers there, they weren't getting paid, and so they had to go back to their old job so they can feed their families. And without the ministry, everything just went downhill and the spiritual temperature of the people just started to decline. Again, we just came out of this. We just came out of the spiritual decline. Nehemiah is gone and working with everybody and trying to get them charged up and understand who God is and what God has done and, 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 and so that we can live for him and please him. Here we are again. Turn right back around. Matthew 6 and 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Read that again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be Add it to you. Somehow, we've turned this around. Yeah, I'm going to get mine, and then when I get mine, I'm going to act like I'm a Christian and follow him. We got this backwards. I'm going to get all this stuff. I'm going to have all the pleasure and, and all the fun. I'm going to live for me and be who I think I should be. Who, I'm going to be who I feel. I'm going to be with people who I like and enjoy and, and make me happy. And then, you know, I might show up to church every once in a while. I might go out and, and do things that God has called me to do, you know. If it comes to sharing the gospel, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an evangelist. Uh, you know, just send them to the pastor. He'll take care of it. Somehow we've got this backwards. Not long before this in the text, the, the people had just committed to taking care of God's house and his people. They had just committed themselves. They're on fire. They're excited to serve the Lord. In Nehemiah 10 and 39, it says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. That was just three chapters ago. What happened? 
This is what happens to us. How fast it can be. You take your eyes off God and all of a sudden the enemy's right there, ready to divert your attention. Be on guard. Do not compromise. It didn't take them long to either forget or go back on their promise and their commitment. This is so vital for us. Be on guard and do not compromise. Look with me in verse 15. In those days, I saw Judah in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wines, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrrhenius also, who lived in the city, brought in fish of all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us, on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. (laughs) But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do this so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come (laughs) on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. This is important because the Sabbath was intended to be a protected time and space where Israel could meditate on God's word and remember the mercies of God. This was time set aside for them to remember and think about who God is and his character, what is this, how it is they should be living, what they should be doing. The Sabbath was for worship. The Sabbath was uh, holy so that people could enjoy God. Mark 2 and 27 says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We need this. With all the things going on in the world, even at this time, we needed time that was set aside for us to dedicate to God. The concern is for the Sabbath and go for the people to know God. And the goal and the purpose of the Sabbath is for us to have boundaries around the time so that we can spend it with him. There's so many different distractions, especially today. There's so many things vying for our attention. You've got these electronic toys. There's tons of things that we can see and look at it on social media and otherwise on television and Netflix. There's just too much. You can always fill your brain with something else. And you're trying to, you're trying to do right. And like, oh, I'm going to sit and focus. Then you get an email notification. Like, oh, I guess I got to see what the email says. There's all kinds of distractions that eat away at every second and every moment 
And then all of a sudden, we don't have time to spend with God in this word. We got so many things that are jumping into our lives, jumping into our minds. All of a sudden, oh man, I, I didn't have any time to pray today. We got all these uh, different obligations that we have. And, you know, I want to go and hang out on Saturday night and do different things. And, and all of a sudden, I, I can't make it up for church in the morning. I'm too tired. Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what the enemy wants. He wants to distract us. He wants to draw our attention away from what truly matters. Nehemiah, he, he comes in boldly. He's like, you know what? We're not having this. The Sabbath, it should be set aside for God. Let me tell you what, close the gates, close them doors. You're going to be here. We're we, we going to Sabbath together. You understand me? We're not going to let all this other stuff happen and take place. You've got all week to do all this business stuff, but not on the Sabbath. You got all, all this other time to do it. it don't, you, we don't need to do this stuff today. We are going to set aside a day and be dedicated to the Lord. This is what we're going to do. And as a matter of fact, <laughs> the merchants and the sellers, they're, they're outside on the, on the gates and like, well, you know, maybe they'll open a door and we can sneak in or something. We can we just post up out here. Nehemiah said, get away, get out of here. Look, I told y'all, we're going to Sabbath. What are you doing sitting out here in the gates? Get, get out of here. You don't need to be here. As a matter of fact, you come here again, and I'm going to lay some hands on you. This, these weren't on the holy hands he's laying. He's like, you're going to get these hands, you come around here again on the Sabbath. He was serious. He needed to be. We got to cut this stuff out. If we're truly going to be committed and if we're going to truly love God, everything else will look like hatred. He, at the moment, it looked like Nehemiah hated those guys, didn't it? It's like, if you're not about my father's business, then you stay from around here. Now, I'm not suggesting that we be legalistic about this. There are people that will have you say, well, you know, in the Old Testament, here's the Sabbath was on Saturday, and if you don't worship on Saturday, then you're not worshiping at all and, and do all these different things. But as we get into the New Testament, we see things change dramatically. And in fact, you know, Paul says, don't, don't garner one day over another. You know, and if I'm honest with you, every day we should be communing with God and spending our time with him. But at very least, we should uh, dedicate our time, put boundaries around our schedule so that we can dedicate some time to, to think about the mercies of God. What he's been for us, how, how loving he's been, and, and to be able to think about it and read the scripture and be in prayer and think about like, well, how can I do, do better? How can I love Christ? How can I live out what he's asked me to do? So I don't want us to be legalistic about this, but it's important that we set boundaries. Remember that our relationship with Christ should be of utmost importance. There is nothing more important. There is nothing more that I desire when it compares to you. In order for you to develop a healthy habit, you might have to schedule some time. You might have to put aside some time on your calendar to read the Bible. There's no shame in that. 
Look, in order to make a new habit, they'd say it takes 30 days in order for us to make a new habit. Maybe you have to set a schedule on your calendar. We all have these, these smartphones that we carry around. Maybe you have an alarm on your calendar that says, that, you know, at 10.15 every morning or 8 o'clock, whenever it is that works out, that I'm going to spend this time reading Scripture. I'm going to spend this time in prayer. You know what? Uh, uh, Sunday is the day that I come together and get a, a, equipped w- with God's word, and I fellowship and I worship so that I can be prepared to handle the week. I'm not doing anything at 11 o'clock on Sunday unless it involves me being here in the church in a pew in worship. Maybe we have to set aside some time and, and really... Uh, uh, structure our time and guard our time so that we can show it the importance that it has in our lives. If you're not intentional about your time with God, I'll tell you what, the culture is going to suck it away from you the moment that you have it, each and every time. So please don't be confused, though, about this either. I'm not intending to say that you earn any righteousness by doing these these things, or you're not doing this to be accepted by Christ. That's not the case either. Christ died on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God so that you can rest and have righteousness. His his work is finished. He's he's paid it all. And so when you stand before God, it's, it's Christ's righteousness that he sees and not your own. So you don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything extra. In what, what, what I'm trying to communicate is you do what's right before God as an act of your love in response to what he's done for you. It's the least you can do. The very least you can do. As we finish today in Nehemiah 13, verse 29. In verse 29, it says, Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O God, for good. What's interesting about this final prayer as we close out the chapter is we know Nehemiah. When we think about the book of Nehemiah, we think about the rebuilding of the walls. This is the first thing that typically comes up when we think about it and, and, and how uh, uh, miraculous it was for him to come in and to take on this insurmountable task and what God did through that. But when, when Nehemiah closes this out with this final prayer, he, he doesn't mention the wall. To him, as he's looking at the things that he's done for God, that's not the most important. From Nehemiah's perspective, the most important thing he did was reestablish worship. The most important thing that he did was to point people back to God and try to get them straight and for Jerusalem to be known as the city of God as God proclaimed it would be. This is what he ultimately focused on. It wasn't the stuff. It's like we need to get right with God. All the stuff, brothers and sisters, all the stuff that you got going on is not the point. All the stuff that you're doing, that you 
have occupying your time. It might be good, but it's not the point. The nice job that you have, uh, the family that you have, uh, the art, whatever it is, is not nearly as important as your disposition to God and who he is. You'd be the greatest artist in the world, but if you have no relationship with God, it's meaningless, it's pointless. Ecclesiastes says his breath is vaporous. His hearing is gone. It's meaningless. None of it is as important as what you've done for the kingdom. So I just want to urge you today, do not compromise. It might mean that you miss out on some things that are fun these days. It might mean that some, some folks that you hang around with, um, they might not align with what you want to do. But I'll tell you, it's worth it. And it matters. Because we can have a momentary place of, of pleasure, excitement, fun, and all those things, but it's momentary. What I'm talking about is eternal. Eternal is forever and ever. I mean, I can't even grasp eternity. I simply can't. We've got some older saints in the building, and as long as your life has been, is nothing in compared to eternity, where we get to be with God. We get to worship him. Getting to be in his presence. I mean, it's... I love that we, are, we have the Holy Spirit in us, guiding, shaping us, molding us. You know, the folks in the Old Testament didn't have the Holy Spirit. I mean, look how cool that is. But it gets cooler when we get to be in the actual presence of God. So keep your eyes focused on Jesus and give him the glory and honor in everything that you do. And if you don't know Christ... This is what I'm here for. This is, this is my goal, my aim, is, is to help you understand who, who Christ is and, and how you can live for him. He's given you this gift freely that you can have eternal life with him. He paid the penalty on your behalf. And by the way, the penalty is death. That's what we all rightly deserve. But instead, God saw fit to bring us a savior. And his name is Jesus. I want you to think about that. Meditate on it. Look at your own life and see the ways that you have been compromising. And ask the Lord to take those things away from you. To give you the courage and strength to live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to do that today. Help us to get away from all the distractions of this world that uh, are leading us astray. They're putting uh, different thoughts in our minds, uh, help uh, making us to think that uh, things that are offensive to you are acceptable. Help us to see those things even in our own lives so that we can put everything we have toward you. We, all of our focus, all of our, our attention, 
all of our goals and aims looking to you so that you might be able to be glorified. Help us to love others so much that we would tell them the truth, that we would know it for ourselves so that one, that we can live the way you've called us to live and two, to go out and save or to, 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 to speak hope into people's lives so that they might know the good news. You might do the saving in their lives so that they don't uh, continue down the path that they're headed away from you. Use us as your instruments. Father, we just thank you for all the things that you've done. Even though there are compromises in our lives, you still saw fit to send your one and only son. And for that, we are grateful. Help us to live a life that glorifies you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.